your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. All right, we're talking about sex addiction, human horn dogs. Yes, yes, I use that term. All right, so, you know, for some people, persistent sexual desires, thoughts, some behaviors can become, you know, problematic. You know, people uh, may become preoccupied with sexual fantasies and urges, especially if they have obsessive compulsive nature. Mm. And, uh, and uh, there's also the subset, they'll act on these impulses and uh, fondle others without consent or touch people without consent, uh, send text images uh, that they shouldn't be sending, uh, sometimes repeatedly. And, uh, you know, this, it's, it's, it's basically a sex addiction. Uh, it's referred to actually in the diagnostic term in the DSM-5 as, a, um, as basically hypersexuality. And uh, some people are just built that way. Um, a lot of people excuse it off by calling it a sex addiction. Uh, but it's basically compulsive sexual behavior disorder. And, and it's recently a pattern of behavior that is often referred to in that way by the World Health Organization. And, uh, but the decision was very controversial. As a lot of the psychologists that were involved in that, they believed that the concepts like hypersexuality are best regarded as uh, shorthanded for perceived problems in regulating greater than average sex drive or some combination of that. Uh, um, you know, or a moral code that prescribes sexual activity. And so with no real definition, sex addiction or, or the validity of it as a diagnosis is impossible to say how many people are truly affected by a sex addiction. But, you know, the real deal is the behavior is really awful and it's seen as uh, reflecting sexual addiction may mask a state of depression or anxiety, which is often what's underlying underneath this need for an addiction. But also it's usually compatible, once again, with obsessive compulsive disorder. So what, whatever case or however you want to look at it, um, it's an attempt to remedy the duress that a person's having, the anxiety that they're having through their sexuality. And although it tends to create its own uh, problem of negative consequences, and usually from declining physical health, financial problems, the disruption of relationships, disruption of careers, disruption of children and integrity. But the behavior problem is often accompanied by feelings of deep shame with the belief that sexual thoughts or behavior of any kind are shameful or a moral violation uh, as a contributing factor. And also, a lot of experts believe that the best treatment is psychotherapy, and that explores an individual's deeper feelings and their ability to regulate those feelings, those beliefs about their self, their past sexual experiences, and more. 
um, there's a lot of studies that have shown that many men who identify as sex addicts actually engage in less sexual activity than average, but feel more shame about their sexuality and have more negative attitudes about sex. So this may indicate, you know, uh, uh, what is termed as a sex addiction addiction stems from cultural or religious attitudes about sexuality and the role that sex should play in people's daily lives. But most experts agree that more research on sex addiction is needed. And, you know, not surprising, because if you think about it, you know, the sexual revolution, as they call it, quote, unquote, happened sometime around the 60s. And that's when birth control came about. And so what happened was, People uh, started divorcing or started having sex, having affairs, not they weren't having them before, but now they're doing it safely. So sex became basically a recreational sport uh, back then, and it's transformed itself into people actually having sex addictions these days because sex is so readily available since there's so many ways to prevent uh, uh, pregnancy and disease. And so it's sad But our culture is actually just beginning to struggle with the idea of sex's pervasiveness in our culture. And it's becoming a a given or something that people just expect to have uh, throughout their lives. Even if they start a relationship, they expect to have sex. If they start a friendship, they expect to have sex. If they go have coffee, they expect to have some kind of sexual contact or conversation with someone. I mean, it just depends on who the person is, where the person is, if they go to a bar, whatever. They correlate finding their sexual person uh, wherever that is, they're going to develop a pattern in order to get someone. You know, I'm, I'm sure all of you have heard of Harvey Weinstein. You know, perhaps you've heard, uh, you know, him uh, trying to get uh, an actress uh, into his hotel room. And the whole thing sounds pretty pathetic if you heard the tapes. But one of the world's most uh, influential men begging a 22-year-old model to touch him is 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 really horrible, horrible, and, and it's creepy, and it's scary, and it's repulsive, and, and apparently, people like him, people like him, uh, have done this over and over and over again, and for most of their adult life, because they feel like it's acceptable to them, it's acceptable, and because they've gotten away with it for so long with no accountability, you know. Now, can anyone actually say that this guy? It has only a sex problem now looking back. No, uh, he has an abuse of power, a lack of empathy, uh, machoism, narcissism, a fear of being uh, insignificant or not existing. He, he has no integrity and he has the inability to feel sufficiently nourished by an incredible career. And so, you know, that's big problem, big problem. So when people have what they call a sex addiction, they have a much bigger problem in their life where there's a place that is very empty within themselves. And, and it's sad because now that they've, now they've made sex an act rather than an act of love or an act of nourishment or a, a, an act of uh, comfort in each other. And, and sex, you know, it's it, just the word. It implies that it's it's just an action, sex. But, you know, to human beings, making love is really what we want. We want to connect. We want to feel. We want to have great emotions for the pre- people that we're with. We're deeply lonely uh, society, deeply lonely world. Uh, lots of disconnectedness. And, and in, truly, even in bad marriages, 
uh, that could be one of the loneliest places on the planet is in a bad marriage where people uh, can't engage with each other in a deeper way. And so, you know, people walk around in this world with all kinds of issues surrounding sex in their life and the balance that needs to take place in their life and uh, making sex a centerpiece in your life is meaning that you're living by an agenda rather than living life. And so that's the sad part of it. You know, and it's because Americans are, are, are nuts about sex, at least here in America, I imagine all over the world, you know, we see it in public life everywhere. Um, it, it, it prevents teens, uh, you know, we're looking at sex as, as something uh, where people are now having lots of vulnerability to HIV, AIDS, uh, all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases, herpes, you know, it just the list goes on. And so, you know, we, we as a society have not really looked at this topic and how to juggle it, how to deal with it. But the concept of sex addiction is so vague that the media and regular people feel they can uh, diagnose someone uh, without ever really meeting someone. And, and so, uh, you know, it's sad. But, you know, looking at sex addiction... We have to look at what are the diagnoses that fall under it. Well, number one we mentioned before is depression. Depression is an ultimate sense of expectations that are never met. That means maybe a person expects to have a meaningful relationship with their spouse, but they don't. Maybe the person expects to have more money in the bank, but they don't. Maybe the person expects to have a better career, but they don't. And so the, what they do is they focus on something they can control, which is their sex, their life. Uh, many people that have problem with sex addiction have problem with masturbation because the masturbation uh, calls for them to have a stronger sex drive. Some people, it actually weakens their sex drive. Uh, but but other people, they're reinforcing the idea that they need to have lots of sex. And, and they collect material uh, basically by going out there and finding people uh, to have sex with that they can um, masturbate to. There's also people have an underlying rage. That's another part of having a sex addiction. There's, there's this rage about never being accepted or... Uh, um, you know, feeling that life is is just not good enough and uh, or feeling like they've never fit in. And uh, so they're always wanting to be validated. And sex is a way people can be validated by all kinds of people. Also, personality disorders often fall under this, especially the narcissistic personality, the borderline personality. Now, what's a borderline? Well, borderline is a person that basically they'll align with people and then they flip and align with someone else. They, they're always moving the cheese around so nobody can ever uh, feel like they're sane. Uh, they, they tend to uh, lie a lot. They tend to try to make the reality their reality. Um, they always have a, a sense of, of not fitting in. But the other thing is they, they just... They take a stand and then they change the stance the next conversation that they have. They're just very uh, – it's kind of like a bipolar in many ways. There's also uh, people like that that have a sense of existential terror, uh, that the world's a dangerous place. Some people feel that they uh, are, are – some, some of these folks with the sex addiction are sociopaths. And so what's a sociopath? They're well known. Sociopath is somebody that preys on, on society. And so uh, this is the way they do it, through a sex addiction. Also, uh, 
many of these people have low sexual desire. And so uh, what they're doing is just looking for events that can heighten their sexuality or their feeling of sexuality. Uh, a lot of these are, are sadists. Um, you know, they, they want to exhort sex on people. Uh, the, many of them have anxiety disorders and, and even bipolar. Now, what is bipolar? It's manic episodes where, the once again, just like the borderline, they go up and down and up and down. And when they're in that manic state, that's when they're going after uh, their sex addiction. You know, uh, Weinstein may have been successful to learn to keep his sexuality contained. While this would undoubtedly be a relief to many women, and, and I'm not discounting the value of that, but it, it would it, it wouldn't cure him of anything. He'd continue to struggle with whatever problems he has, expressing them destructively. Sooner or later, he was about to, you know, eventually uh, explode. And for him to never even think that that would happen to him, obviously, was the way that he lived his life. That he could buy his way through it or hide his way through it. So in the 80s, addiction models were becoming increasingly popular. And so the sex addiction model tagged basically into that wave. And, and then all of a sudden, 12-step groups on behavior addictions were forming. Uh, groups, as well as the information, were more easily accessible. Uh, people had now an excuse to hide behind. And uh, also, uh, <laughs> how awful, people being in group therapy for sex addiction. Now, what do you think would happen there? Guess. Um, you know, if, if you've got a bunch of people, especially people that go back from the group into their regular life, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get a bunch of people uh, pushing their addiction on other people that are in the group and, and actually enhancing their, their repertoire of sexual addiction. So, you know, sex is not as simple as many people have learned. It's far more complicated, you know, and it's pretty messy when it comes to psychology. You know, both are ordinary and very weird in everyone. Sexuality is a kind of a mystery to people. It may take us a, a bunch of uncon uh, unthought of an unexpected direction. So the definition and the treatment of sexual addic addiction is complicated by values, a person's values, a person's morality, uh, religious overtones of treatment, and, and uh, sex addiction model and sexual recovery is left basically to the therapist or to uh, the person that's seeking help, their moral judgment and discretion. And, and so there's not a lot of informed, educated, and research-oriented basis to assist a client uh, to, to achieve their own sexual health. But there's many forms of therapy that can help them regulate and help them take responsibility for the problem and accountability for the problem. You know, as our understanding of the range of human sexuality has expanded over the years, many within the psychological profession have ceased to pathologize certain sexual behaviors, recognizing that practiced in safe and consensual ways, those behaviors often not only enhance people's happiness as well-being, but they're neither unnatural or abnormal. Rather, they're part of their, their, the pleasure available to us as, as sexual beings. So the sex addiction model basically uses um, uh, widely available sex addiction screening tests, which therapists can administer to recognize areas that are problematic within their clients. Um, you know, looking at their sense of arousal, what arouses them. And, and this is the weird thing. Uh, people with sex addiction tend to have uh, an arousal issue. 
meaning that, uh, that they look at arousal and, and as they start looking at more stuff and more stuff and more stuff, you know, porn, whatever they're looking at, they amp it up over over time and they develop a, an immunity uh, towards the more lighter things and now are becoming more addicted to hardcore things. And so this tendency is that it gets uh, creepier and creepier as the addiction moves on. And you know, all too often sex addiction uh, therapy focuses on altering sexual behavior, but what it really needs to do is handle the underlying diagnoses that are leading to it and help the person get outside of the behavior and understand what is this all about and what is making me want to do this and what is its impact on my life, what's its impact on uh, my work, my finances, my, my, my marriage, my children, um, my life outside, you know, there's great impacts that this kind of behavior can have on people. And until people understand their sense of accountability, you know, as we get older, we get uglier. And so the deal is our integrity, our integrity is about all we have to the end of our life. And if you destroy your integrity, uh, you're not going to find yourself in the company of a lot of people as you grow older because, uh, it's you're kind of creepy. And so, you know, we have to hold on to integrity if we want to be attractive as people. And that means you can be trusted. And so, you know, we have to look at sex addiction in a serious way, but we really have to understand that it's not truly a diagnosis. In the diagnostic world, it's called hypersexuality. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And then we're going to go on into uh, moving through the hypersexuality and then move into the model of addiction and what creates addiction. Come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You'll learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about sex addiction. And, uh, you know, I don't know if any of you remember, but back in 2011, um, you know, Congressman Anthony Weiner in New York, uh, he tweeted out a sexually explicit photo to a female follower. And then uh, that cost him his seat in Congress, by the way. And then uh, he repeated the same behavior, I believe it was like 2013. And, and then it cost him a chance to be the mayor of New York. And then uh, and third time, and now he's went to prison and I think he's out. But uh the next transgression cost him his marriage and trying to understand why someone would destroy their career and marriage for a cheap thrill is really not a a small task to take on. You know, most of us can't fathom uh, a person's motives like that. You know, are they stupid? Are they a masochist? Are they pervert? Maybe all, you know, certainly if they could control it like Wiener, they, they, he would be okay. He must have something so strongly pushing him to do this that despite his best efforts, he just couldn't resist. And uh, so he must be labeled a sex addict, you know? Well, you know, despite these these headlines that uh, and the self-promoting uh, proclamations uh, of many of these uh, TV doctors that sex addiction is real, but let me be clear. Um, I'm not saying that people cannot or do not destroy their lives based on impulsive, uh, risky sexual behavior. They do. There's no doubt that some people have uh, trouble regulating their sexual thoughts, their desires, and their behavior. But addiction has a real meaning and a real clinical definition. So, you know, uh, uh, if you look at things like a person's drug of choice, um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, a person's uh, response to gambling, smoking, alcohol, uh, whatever it is, um, there is um, a lot of brain waves that have been where, you know, studies where they've looked at the brain waves of people that have these addictions, which are, are activated when, you know, parts of the brain are activated when uh, something uh, peculiar of interest or desire comes about. And what that does is it it creates a dopamine response, which dopamine is like the happy drug that our brain manufactures, which is in antidepressants. And so basically, this uh, this desire to go after something, an addiction of any kind, has a lot to do with trying to divert the brain's attention to pain or to what the person is feeling about their life. 
And so, um, you know, if you really, really look at it, uh, there's a growing body of research, uh, especially with the American Psychiatric Association, which removed the mention of sex addiction from the DSM-5, and it's also conditioned, uh, considered the def- definitive resource on mental disorders. So, you know, uh, uh, many people, many insurance companies, since the DSM-5 doesn't recognize sex addiction, many of the insurance companies also don't recognize sex addiction. So, once again, therapy is the other avenue that a lot of these folks have to go. But many uh, therapists and recovery programs still declare treatments and cures for sex addiction. But, um, you know, uh, for a therapist to claim that they have a a, a rock-solid treatment for sex addiction or a cure for sex addiction, that's probably, uh, I would consider to be somewhat unethical because, you know, there's no true cure for something that we still haven't really clearly defined. So, um, you know, if you if you think uh, you know this this continued pathologically uh, uh, motivated behavior uh, is going to be easily treated, it, it's not. It's the pattern that has to be stopped, and it, it it means that a person has to do it for a greater risk reason than just wanting to stop their addiction to sex. They have to do it because they recognize the damage that it does to so many other people and to their life. They have to do it from a moral perspective, and they need to do it from a thought perspective beyond what their little vacuum is of thinking about the person that they're they're, uh, hypersexual about. And it's also um, basically labels people. It turns a person into an object rather than uh, rather than a person, but hypersexual desire is is once again the proposed diagnosis, and uh, you know as a result of this hypersexuality, the people feel distress in areas of life like their work and their relationships, but they also live a secret life, and that secret life is that addiction, and it's sad because that in itself underlies a lot of their motivators that underlies what when and where they spend time with their family how they spend time with their family what they're focused on when they need to be focused on work i mean there's a lot of things that can happen uh, because of an addiction because addictions can come at any time and that they can make themselves available at any time to people that are sex addicts because that's what they're walking around with the agenda looking for that so once again their motivator can't be i need to stop being a sex addict it has to be outside themselves and it has to be something that they regulate because they have to they have to for themselves and they have to for the people that need them the most and, and, you know, some experts believe that the real causes of the behavior includes emotional states, namely uh, d- deep anxiety, deep depression, maybe a relationship conflict that's going on, uh, ongoing, actually. And, and for some individuals, shame, uh, morality may also be involved, whether the, the condition exists or not. But the psychotherapy may be useful for the, the individuals seeking to regulate their emotions and gain insight into their sexuality. And I would suggest that's the better avenue to go is treat the anxiety, t- treat those underlying things in the person's life, that depression, that anxiety. Then you can see if you can un- ungrab the depression, you know, l- l- pull away from the sex addiction and have less impulsive ideas. 
you know, but uh, it's important to note that sexual behavior is a normal, healthy part of life. And many people enjoy being active with multiple partners or with their their marital partner or their relationship partner. Uh, Some people have to seek out many different kinds of sexual experiences, but, you know, hypersexuality becomes problematic when it causes significant distress to an individual or puts them at risk of harming themselves or someone else. You know, once again, uh, they, they have a recurrent, intense sexual fantasies, urges, or behaviors, and the behaviors consistently interfere with their activities or obligations. And once again, this is coming straight from the DSM-4. Also, the behaviors consistently um, uh, uh, occur in response to uh, basically a dysphoric mood states, meaning unstable mood states like anxiety, depression, boredom. Boredom is a big one. And irritability or stressful life events. You know, bored people... uh, are boring, number one, but bored people have a tendency to um, call boredom a call to action. And even if it's, and usually it's pleasure seeking action because they're bored. So they want to have some kind of engagement or desire involved in their life at that point. And so the sad part is that the hypersexuality may become the ingredient for that, where they take that that uh, boredom and they move it into to their call to action as something that they can do with their boredom. You know, engaging in consistent but unsuccessful efforts to control or reduce their sexual fantasies, their urges, behaviors, that's a part of hypersexuality. Also engaging in sexual behaviors while disregarding the potential for physical, emotional harm of yourself or others, and also the frequency or intensity of sexual fantasies, urges, behavior causes significant distress or impairment. That is when sexuality is a problem, when it's pervasive, when it's uh, basically leading your personality, when you, when you have gaps in your life. But, uh, you know, it's, it, some children or adolescents may engage in increase uh uh, or uh, developmentally inappropriate sexual behavior as, as a result of traumatic experiences, stressors, mental illness. Um, but while there's no real standard definition of sexual hypersexuality in children, it is known that sexually abused children may display uh, increased sexual behaviors and high-risk sexual behavior associated with uh, that demographic of, of kids that have been uh, under uh, sexually traumatic experiences. And so it's also important uh, to consider the role culture plays in the concept of hypersexuality. Cultures that view sexuality in a more positive light may have values that don't judge sexual behavior as being excessive. And so, uh, you know, some societies view it as normal. And uh, here's the treatment strategies that are often used. Uh, Rebuilding relationships, uh, managing their stress identifying triggers for sexual thoughts and compulsive sexual behaviors, finding alternative behaviors that are less destructive. Those are parts of what takes place in the counseling. But I would say, just as a Christian, you also have to engage your spiritual self. You know, is this something that you need to spiritually hold yourself accountable for? You know, is this something that's holding you back? Is this something that is... uh, that, that you're hiding from yourself and you're continuously having a values struggle or a religious values struggle with, you know, wouldn't it be free, nice to be free of an addiction? Wouldn't it be nice to be free of a sex addiction and make your life 
whole again and begin to make yourself live in the truth rather than living in secrets, it's so much better to do something like that. So now that we look at sex addiction, even though it's not a diagnosis, when people say they're addicted to, uh, let's say, bacon or or The Simpsons or, or uh, Beyonce or whatever, they're not actually addicted. They just really like whatever that is. But when, when behavioral addiction meets sexuality, uh, uh, particularly in some men's uh, frequent masturbation or uh, addiction to porn, many see as a crisis as grave as a drug addict. In fact, sexual addiction usually has little to do with truly out-of-control sexuality and everything to do with the guilt and the shame some people feel about being sexual, particularly men who regularly make use of porn. But if we go back and look at the term sex addiction, once again, the term started in the 70s after the 60s sexual revolution. And, and it's, uh, um, it, it basically uh, struck a chord with a lot of people. And it actually is a, a, a contemporary outdate of what we used to call a perversion. So any sex of the self-appointed uh, arbiters of decency uh, uh, considered that to be unacceptable, excessive, erotic fantasies, excessive sex, almost any sex with sex workers, uh, solo sex, especially with, when it involves porn. You know, perversion is implied morality. But, uh, and so that's where this sex addiction came from. It tried to make, take perversion and put a nice little label on it. Um, you know, back then, traditional religious morality uh, lost its hold on a lot of Americans after the sexual revolution. And so perversion lost its sting. And so uh, proponents of sex addiction basically uh, medicalized the perversion by calling it addiction. And that stuck a chord. And so people stuck with that title and hid behind it for many, many years. And they, they continue to do and, and people will use that, well, I'm a sex addict. Well, you know, <laughs> that doesn't excuse the behavior. I'm sorry. Um, you know, addiction, it, it, does, it does have some addictive properties. If you really look at it, 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 it um, basically dopamine can be very addictive. And, and that dopamine release when they're on the adventure to try to get their uh, sexual addiction met, that's what they're going for. They're trying to get more dopamine. You know, um, and then all of a sudden, the, the invention of the internet just unleashed sexual addiction and unleashed people. And, and uh, basically, they started creating little private lives on the internet and creating hookups and dating sites and all kinds of crazy stuff out there uh, that, that's still out there and, and in a multi-billion dollar industry, by the way. And so, sex addiction continues to be something people hide behind because it's so hard to get away from sex. Everywhere you go, there's sex something. Um, you know, there's something to do with sex all around you. Everywhere you go, walking around, there's something to do with sex. Whether it's something someone's wearing something in the uh, shop window, uh, someone driving a car, whatever it is, uh, people wear sex. <laughs> and and uh, that's the sad thing. You know, addiction was once reserved for uh, drug dependence, like once again, we talked about this earlier, tobacco, alcohol, heroin, uh, opioid, opioid pain medications, um, and, and basically there were four categories that, that called it addiction. Tolerance, the more you use, the more you need. The craving, addicts experience 
such intense desire for their substance that they organize their lives around obtaining it and using it. Uh, the withdrawal, it, 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 if addicts stop using, they suffer debilitating symptoms and increase severe consequences. Addicts risk jobs, families, severe illness, and death. And, and that's no lie. You know, the vast majority of people call sex or porn addicts don't meet the criteria. Um, you know, uh, the, the top sex addiction out there is porn and masturbating to porn. Um, but uh, that's pretty much the biggest addiction. And so once people use masturbation instead of have a regular sex with their partner or, or be able to engage with other people, um, basically they, they form a, a sense of an addiction that they feel is not hurting anybody else. But it does. It hurts them. And it hurts if they're with somebody, it hurts them too because they can't compete with what you're looking at. Uh, and they may not uh, desire what you're looking at. Um, you know, th there's no tolerance. If porn uh, caused tolerance over time, users would have to consume increasing amounts. But, you know, uh, if you looked at the statistics from um, Pornhub, which is the world's largest porn site, most viewers, 75% of them male, watch less than five minutes per visit and 86% spend less than 20 minutes. So only .2% watch more than two hours at a time. Now, some men might visit several times a day or download videos for later viewing, but there's no evidence that porn watching causes tolerance. Only uh, to porn viewers, two porn viewers per thousand watch more than two hours at a time. Meanwhile, most Americans watch more television than that. Uh, where's the outrage over TV <laughs> addiction? <laughs> if you think about that, <laughs> you know, some contend that as their addictions intensify, sex addicts become more tolerant to conventional porn and seek more extreme imagery. But there is no normal amount or type of sex. So, so what constitutes conventional or extreme? We don't know because we really haven't studied this topic too much. Uh, but to the sex addiction industry, extreme porn includes anal play, uh, BDSM, swinging, group sex, public sex, uh, uh, homosexuality, uh, bisexuality. And, and actually, these are all fairly prevalent, involving tens of millions of otherwise loving, productive, mentally healthy people in this world and in America, especially those statistics are American statistics, by the way. So many men begin with one type of porn, then sample others. And that's not tolerance. It's usually curiosity or boredom. So after viewing the most extreme porn, almost all men can still get off watching a lone couple doing it in, in the missionary position. Um, you know, there's a big difference between craving and enjoying. And, and the vast majority of men enjoy porn, but but only a tiny fraction organize their lives around it. Drug addicts, on the other hand, have difficulty going a day without their substance. But if men have something better to do, uh, they don't watch porn. They they uh, they uh, Pornhub reports that uh, things uh, that their viewership drops substantially for all major holidays and sporting events. So you know most men enjoy porn, but they don't develop cravings that call for what's called an addiction. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to continue to talk about addiction just a little bit more. And then we're going to move into how to get out of this, this uh, vacuum of what we term 
uh, hypersexuality or sex addiction. So come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about sex addiction. You know, there is uh, no withdrawal effect for sex addiction. Um, You know, when sports fans, mostly men, have responsibilities that preclude watching games, they feel bummed. But, But they don't suffer, you know, symptoms. Um, you know, for most all men, the same is true for porn. When it's available, they watch. When it's not, they may feel wistful, but they function pretty fine without it. So, you know, increasing, no uh, increasing severe consequences, but the main consequences of watching porn is the pleasure of the orgasm. But the pitfalls that could take place, some porn using men develop uh, erectile dysfunction uh, because they're so used to pleasing themselves uh, basically, that engaging in sex and having the smells and the all the all the other stuff that comes with it, uh, they're used to just you know having their thirty seconds or sixty seconds of orgasm and then uh, they're on their way. And so, sex itself uh, begins to lose steam, and the partner tends to of, of that person tends to not get uh, pleased. And so, um, 
you know, the problem is the ED, the, the erectile dysfunction comes about. But, you know, if you really look at it, a lot of ED comes from anxiety, guilt, shame. And, and, and basically that's men uh, feel about uh, how they feel about their masturbating rather than being able to perform live. Now they have to question whether or not they can get it up or not. Then they start to uh, spectate on themselves, meaning they start looking from the outside in at themselves as somebody who can't function and uh, so can it can really disrupt a person's ability to connect sexually with their partner some women catch uh, men using porn and threaten nasty consequences like divorce i get this all the time uh, but since the late 90s when porn exploded on the internet the divorce rate has declined so the credible evidence suggests that viewing porn leans uh, more than a tiny fraction of men to increasing uh, severe negative consequences. But, uh, you know, the deal is, is that, uh, you know, maybe it keeps them in the marriage sometimes. I don't know. I'm not suggesting that, that that's what they do. There's a lot better things you could be doing, like engaging with your partner and take them on dates and romance and having a little bit of uh, fun. Uh, together and connect and, and feel like you guys really love each other. You know, that's a great way to live life. If you think about it, you know, our life is about making memories. And, and when we die, those memories are all that we have. And that's all that's been left behind for us. And so that's what uh, the people in our life take away from us. And if we don't create connected memories, we don't have much of a life. And that's the sad part of it. The people that, that uh, do the porn stuff can't seem to uh, engage like they need to or attach like they need to to their partner. You know, um, there's a there's a, a tens of thousands of studies over the years, but none of them have really produced credible evidence viewing uh, porn or engaging in unconventional sex that they are actually mental health disorders. But, you know, if you look at um, the communities out there, and, and there's like a um, sex-positive communities. With the, there's abundant research from their part that shows that a majority of sex addict, the, the issue is not sex, but the guilt and the shame they feel about thinking and acting sexual. So uh, you know they try to excuse that, and we've talked about that earlier too. But um, you know the big thing that's harmful about uh, sex addiction itself, if you really want to call yourself a sex addict, is it's oftentimes it's secret. Oftentimes it's abusive and it causes harm. Oftentimes the feelings are used to avoid a person's painful emotion. And, and when I say abusive, there's also self-abuse because it tears you apart. It's self-defeating. And then there's the emptiness outside of a committed relationship. There, there's this, this betrayal, this ultimate betrayal that you know is uh, going through your life, even if it's all just in your head. Uh, the, the bottom line is, why do you have to carry something like that with you? Uh, most of it's by choice. So, you know, there, there's, a, there's a big difference between a secret and something that's private. People have a right to privacy. It, you know, it's, it's socially unaccepted, unacceptable and illegal to masturbate in public. So, so scratch that thing in private, do that in private, <laughs> unless it substantially interferes with life responsibilities. What's wrong with solo sex in, pri in private? Well, people use the bathroom in private. Is that addictive? No. But, you know, some people indeed uh, keep their sexuality secret. Many lesbian and gay folks out there 
with uh, friends, but not with families or coworkers, uh, fear of being ostracized. So their secrecy is is not pathological. It's a reasonable way to cope with their bigotry in the society or, or the discrimination out there. Thankfully, uh, most of that is is loosening, and people are actually accepting people for their sexual uh, you know choices. Um, but what's abusive? Well, you know, BDSM is is, is abusive. Um, you know, submissives declare their personal limits in advance, and the dominants, uh, the doms, respect them just as athletes respect their rules for their sports. But subs, the sub person in the BDSM relationship, also have safe words and signals that immediately stop play if they feel uncomfortable. But the irony of BDSM is that subs control the play and can invoke their safe words at any time. So, you know, uh, people that like the, the BDSM uh, insist that no other human interactions are trusting or intimate. And so that's why they become addicted to that because they have to have that sub and, and dom experience to make themselves feel safe in a sexual experience. So, you know, empathy, lovemaking in a committed relationship can be great, but not always. For some committed partners, sex feels unsatisfying. Meanwhile, most adult Americans have enjoyed casual sex for the substantial majority. It's fun and life-affirming and not empty or addictive. And so, uh, you know, excessive sex, you know, who's a pervert? Well, someone who does it more often and in more ways than you. <laughs> you know, that's what <laughs> that would what be what many people would term a pervert. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, a sex industry claims that affliction involves excessive sexual thoughts or actions that that distress victims or their loved ones, including their erotic fantasies, their masturbation, uh, the sexting, uh, the phone sex, the visits to the strip club, sex workers, sex clubs, you know. But if you look in the terms of uh, the, the excessive, who knows? The only accurate uh, generalization about sex is that everyone is unique. And, and for there to be excessive sexuality, there has to be a uh, normal frequency that addicts grossly exceed. But there is no normal of sexual frequency, either solo or partner. You know, every relation ha- ha- relationship has its different pace of sexuality. And uh, many people um, don't like how they look. And so they don't want someone else liking how they look. And that's kind of sad, you know, Uh but, you know, sex addiction industry postulates that excessive sex involves seven or more orgasms a week. And and I guess they arrived at this figure by surveying American sexual frequency, uh, arbitrarily labeling the most active 5% as addicted. And uh, that's, those aren't studies that you really want to, to uh, consider or follow. But, uh, can, you know, l- let's look at popcorn. People eat uh, varying amounts from none to buckets a day. Do the most popcorn-loving five percent have a mental health disorder? You know, they're ple- they're 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 pleasure-seeking people, uh, people that have food addictions. I mean, really, they just like food, and so some people eat more than others. Some people, that's their thing, and uh, but is it really an addiction? You know, and so that's kind of the category that you have to look at the sex addiction thing, and uh, the people that hide behind that. But, you know, as far as the sex addiction, uh, addiction industry, it basically claims that compulsive use of porn has caused an epidemic of divorce. And divorce is complicated and has many causes, um, but it's, it's, it's really not a 
true thing to just blame one thing, one reason on people why people get divorced. But the deal is about sex is that when people have sex outside of their relationship, as we get older, uh, it's very hard to treat people that have affairs. Uh, because if you're in a committed relationship and then you have an affair, uh, especially if you're older, you should know better. And so there's a lot of shame around that. But the, also there's a lot of uh, anxiety around it, too. Um, because people often uh, having affairs aren't doing it uh, with someone that uh, uh, knows they're married <laughs> or know there's a, knows they're in a relationship. Certainly, they don't know everything about that person. And so, you know, the, where it really affects the sex, the need to have hypersex, it really uh, affects our close personal relationships because that means the person you're with is never enough. And they cannot provide you enough. And that puts a lot of stress on the relationship. And it creates, once again, a sense of both of you uh, feeling empty and both of you feeling like it's never enough. There's never enough satisfaction. And people that have that never enough idea and hold that power over their partner for not providing them the, the hypersexual active, uh, activity that they need hold a lot of anger and resentment and rage underneath them because they feel they're entitled to that from their partner. And it's sad, but uh, they will they will impose that view on that partner and continue to hammer them about how bad they are for not helping them sexually, not participating more sexually with them. And, and that becomes a problem in the relationship, and that's where things begin to deteriorate. So that's m less a part of the sexuality and more about how they handle it. You know, uh, problematic, it, basically, uh, when sex addiction is interfering with your life, and that's how we have to look at it, and it's a person's responsibility uh, to take responsibility for their sexuality. Not only do we need to take uh, responsibility for all parts of our life, but some people will exclude how they, how they uh, view sexuality and how they behave in their sexuality. And that's a sad thing because then all of a sudden someone finds out and uh, that part of you gets revealed. Now the whole, all the relationships in your life have to reevaluate who are you and what are you about. So um, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, all of those can be addictive and all of those can also contribute to a person's uh, feeling of being addicted. So, you know, it, it, it's basically there's three varieties. There's a procreative relationship affirming. There's the recreational, and and uh, uh, and, and so once again the three categories that the reasons why people pursue this sexual addiction is is it's procreative, it's it's uh, relationship affirming, and it's or it's recreational. But people across all centuries have indulged in all three. But from big, biblical times through the 18th century, the only God-fearing justification for sex was procreation. And, and really, prior to the sexual re revolution, from a society's perspective, that was the only reason to have sex is to procreate and have children. Pretty amazing when you look at it, looking back almost 60 years into the sexual revolution of society. All right. Well, I hope that was interesting. That's our show. Uh, I would love to hear from you, drgbmft at sbcglobal.net, our webpage on Voice America. You can also reach us on the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, 
Toothpaste is your most intimate relationship. It has an orgasm in your mouth every morning and night if you brush your teeth. (laughs) So here's some bad jokes. What makes a hormone? Not paying her. What's the difference between a G-spot and a golf ball? Well, a guy will actually search for a golf ball. (laughs) And how do you embarrass an archaeologist? Give him a used tampon and ask him which period it comes from. That's our show. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 